I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're continuing our rewatch of The Leftovers today as we hit episode six from season two, Lens. My name is Justin Hamilton, and have you been noticing I've been kind of losing my mind here on Big Squid? Today for our latest leftovers episode. It's been a busy week. I've uh, had a little trip down to Adelaide. I went back for Mum's birthday and was doing some stuff around the house for her and taking her out for lunch and setting up a new TV for her. So it wasn't much in the way of time off, but. I did watch all seven episodes of The Mayor of East Town. Maybe I'll talk about that next week. God, I really hate binge-watching a really good show, but there just hasn't been time. And Anyway, I'll save my thoughts for next week on that one. So I'm super tired at the moment. Uh, flights are just that bit more stressful in uh, current times. I'm sure you've experienced it or at the very least can imagine what it's like. So let's not muck around then and get straight into today's powerhouse episode of The Leftovers. Carrie Coon and Regina King. Holy moly. This is episode six from season two, Lens. There's nothing to be scared of. I'm scared? Yes. Of what? <laughs> You've been noticing that I've been kind of losing my mind. What? Somebody threw a rock through our window. What do you think this is about? What do you think this is about? I'm not going to say this again. Stay away from my family. We are the 9,261 and we are spared. We open on a news article about Evie and her missing friends. It is stuck to a whiteboard surrounded by incoherent thoughts and arrows written in a marker. There's a man looking at it all and he takes a phone call. He appears agitated. Or is he excited? Or is it both? He leaves his office and drives, lost in thought. 
He arrives in Jardin and lets the ranger at the entrance know he's there for the search. When he's let in, he won't allow his equipment to go through their X-ray machine. Whatever his equipment is, it must be sensitive to X-rays. He takes the bus into the heart of the town, surrounded by a religious group, and in the middle he looks incredibly uncomfortable amongst them. Once in the town square, he buys a map, hires a buggy, and drives off. Through the town he drives, past the woman in the wedding dress who stands out the front having her photo taken with visitors to the town. He eventually arrives at the Murphy house and knocks on the door. Erica answers and he asks if this is the house that Evie used to live in. When Erica confirms this, he steps back, takes a reading with a little device in his hand and makes his way next door. He knocks and Nora answers. He explained that he's a doctor doing research and he's trying to draw some significant conclusions from his work. He pulls out a strange-looking Jack Kirby-esque device and begins to measure something about Nora. She explodes into a rage and kicks his bag off her veranda. I'm just trying to help you, he says. Erica watches all of this and calls out to Nora to see if she's okay. Nora replies that she is fine and goes back inside. It is dusk and Nora stands out the front of the Murphy household. She looks at the home, looks around and throws a rock through the window before walking away. The next morning, Nora attends to Mary's needs. She receives a phone call from a blocked number. She answers. A woman begins to speak to her about the doctor who visited the previous day and Nora tells that person not to ring again. She hangs up, speaks briefly to Jill and goes upstairs to let Kevin out of his handcuffs. She straddles him. She's in a flirty mood. But before anything can happen, Kevin yelps. Nora is worried that she heard him and he claims he had a sudden cramp. Next door, Erica replies to emails, her hearing aids out on the table. John comes down and comments on the rock and broken glass in the lounge room. John wonders what this is all about and Erica repeats the question, but in a knowing way. She suspects it is because of the way he handles himself in the town, beating up people he doesn't agree with. There's a knock at the door and Erica tells John not to answer it, that the man there will go away. The man leaves the Murphy's house and walks towards next door where Nora stands out the front. His name is George. He's from the Department of Sudden Departures and this allows Nora to immediately relax. She explains she's on leave from her division and he explains he's there to answer questions about the missing girls. In the background, Erica runs to her car, ignoring the man calling to her and drives off. Erica drives to the forest and goes to the place we've been to before with her. She walks up to that same tree and digs out a box. Inside is a dead bird. She throws the dead one onto a pile of more dead birds. Back in the town centre, the mothers of the missing teenagers confront Erica. They want her to talk to George, but Erica refuses. She asks what type of questions are asked and the two mums refuse to answer. They've signed a non-disclosure form and this just infuriates Erica Moore. She walks off telling the woman she will see them tonight at the fundraiser. Nora makes her way into the city and finds George getting breakfast at the place she suggested. George talks about how he asks the two mums the questions and none of the fraud flags are appearing. Nora asks about the questionnaire and hears that it is different to the ones she used to ask. This one uses information that is inspired by Japanese scientists who have done work on the questionnaire and in science. And what's happening is it's bringing up some interesting results. Nora asks if she can have a look, but George won't let her due to the department's policy. Anyone reading the questions could corrupt the work in some way. 
But George is helpful in talking about the situation and he thinks the girls may have lifted because there's no reason for them to disappear. They're smart, happy, well-liked and had no reason to go. They talk about a new theory that is called lensing. The name is inspired from when an ant burns because a child is using a magnifying glass to burn the ant. The theory is that some people give off a type of radiation that may cause those around them to disappear. There's a scientific article about it that came out last month and George is happy to send it on to Nora. She looks worried by this information. Erica is at work and has to attend a man who has been injured. It is the scientist who had been collecting water when the girls were swimming in the waterhole. He's been selling his water and John found out, so he's not only beaten him up, but taken a handprint as well. He's still looking for whose hand might match the print on the car. The scientist is shaken up and wants to press charges, but Erica talks him out of it knowing that the man could be in more trouble if John finds out. She returns home and finds Lily in her basket sitting by herself on the car out the front of the house. Erica goes and takes her to the front door where Nora answers. She's been reading the article about lensing and thinks it is horseshit. Nora thought that Lily was with Kevin and the two women chat. It comes up in conversation that Nora lost her children in the sudden departure. Erica is surprised, but Nora doesn't stay around to continue the chat. Upstairs, Kevin is applying wallpaper and he's talking to someone who isn't there. Nora asks him what is going on and he lies, saying he's talking to himself. When he realises he left Lily outside, he is mortified, but Nora lets him off. It isn't a big deal. Everything is fine. Besides, they have to get ready for the fundraiser tonight and she also wants to take Mary to see Matt out in the village. Erica and John have an argument about the rock and the broken window and she confronts him about his aggression, that he's taking his anger out on people. He breaks down and says he's trying, that he's doing his best. For a moment, their sadness brings them together. Erica looks out the window while John hugs her and sees her son and Jill holding hands. Meanwhile, Nora finally answers a blocked call and it is a woman speaking on behalf of the doctor who tried to take readings without permission. She apologises for his behaviour and explains that some of the readings might be interesting. They believe that Nora might be a lens. Nora is worried by this news, but when the woman says that they believe the demon Azrael has chosen her as his earthbound instrument, she laughs and hangs up the phone before beginning to weep. Back at the Murphy household, Erica looks through some boxes she has in a secret place. She pulls out rolls of money and then finds some batteries for her hearing aids. Before she can put the batteries in, she sees someone at the front door, and when she runs outside, there's an apple pie on the veranda. She sees a young boy running away, so Erica sets after him. She chases the boy for a few blocks and is almost hit by a car that she doesn't hear coming. But she catches the boy and throws him to the ground. She wants him to tell her who sent the pie, and she needs him to speak clearly and loudly. We next see her car pull up at Virgil's caravan set somewhere on the outskirts of Jarden. She carries the apple pie with her and confronts the old man. She wants to know why he's sending the pies and he says it is because he knows she is in pain. He lets it slip that Michael visits him and they pray together and Erica isn't happy about this. She wants Virgil to stay away from her family. Virgil apologises for the past, for whatever it is he did, and that he's very sorry. But he is also family and she needs him. Erica repeats her threat and before she can leave, Virgil asks her if she wants to take a bird. Now why the fuck would I do that? 
she asks. Outside of Jardin, Nora and Mary visit Matt, who stands free of the stocks, doing his washing. He jumps down to say hello to the women. He looks happy, fulfilled. He won't allow anyone to take his place and believes he is bringing peace to these people, that his suffering inspires compassion. They all sit together and Nora tells Matt that they're going to the fundraiser. The town is going to raise money to help continue the search for the missing teenagers. Matt believes it is a bad idea to take Mary because John doesn't believe his story. He believes that taking Mary is a way to antagonise the Murphy family, that it is a hostile gesture. Matt also believes that Nora has some hostility toward them, to which Nora tells Matt to fuck off. (laughs) They sit in silence after this. That night, Erica gets ready for the fundraiser. John sidles up behind her and talks about the necklace Erica is wearing, that it was Evie's favourite, and no matter how many hints she dropped, Erica never gave the necklace to her daughter. John believes it is because Erica didn't pick up on the hints, but she corrects her husband. She picked up on the hints. She never gave it to her daughter because she wanted something for herself. Erica walks into Michael's room and confronts him about seeing Virgil. She wants him to stop, and if John found out, there would be trouble. Michael suggests that John would shoot him again, and then tells his mother that anyone who asks for forgiveness deserves to receive forgiveness. Erica looks at her son. She quite clearly doesn't agree. At the fundraiser, Nora gets the wheelchair out for Mary and watches as George arrives. Before she can say anything, her phone rings and it is another blocked call. She answers and yells at the person to stop calling. But it isn't the woman from before. It is Laurie Garvey. She found Nora's phone number online and she's calling because she wants to know if Tom is there. Nora is taken aback. He isn't there. She's never even met him before. Laurie asks a favour. If Tom does turn up, can Nora let him know that she's sorry and that she's worried about him? Nora says yes. Inside, Nora and Mary find Kevin and impulsively donates $500 to the fundraiser. She sees George, who asks what she thought of the article. She replies that she thinks it is horseshit. George is surprised. He thought the article was really interesting and that the new questions reflect some of the data. He then sits down to film the fundraiser. There is singing. There are speeches from the mothers about their missing daughters. There's a slideshow that shares with the audience how tight the girls were. It is during the slideshow that Jerry appears with a new goat. He rolls out his plastic and is about to slaughter the goat when Erica snaps. She won't allow this to happen. She thinks it is insane that everyone just lets this happen over and over when it all means nothing. Some of the crowd yell at Erica. They don't agree with her. Maybe the fact that he killed a goat on that day was the reason they were spared. Erica fires back. She isn't afraid of anyone in there. She calls out the woman who dresses in her bridal gown, telling her none of it matters, and the fact that she keeps doing it is because she likes the attention. The room is stunned, and Erica grabs the goat and leaves the fundraiser. While this has been happening, Nora has stolen the questionnaire from George's back, much to Kevin's confusion. She too slips out of the fundraiser. Nora knocks on Erica's door and when she answers, asks if she is okay. She also hands over the questionnaire and says that once she looks through the questions, she won't be scared anymore. Erica is confused. Scared, she asks. Nora points out if she answers all the questions, then she'll know her child didn't depart. Erica is sceptical and invites Nora in to ask the questions. The two women sit opposite each other as Nora begins. This isn't just about the questions, they're testing each other feeling each other out. Each one is trying to learn more about the other while not realising they're revealing more and more about themselves. 
One of the questions prompts Erica to reveal that she did indeed withdraw a large sum of money before Evie disappeared. She says she was preparing to leave John and tells a story about her grandmother who believed that Jarden was indeed a blessed place, a chosen place. To prove this, Erica's grandmother said that if you take a bird, bury it in a box, go back in three days, and if the bird is still alive, you could make a wish. Erica didn't believe this. She knew it was just pretend. Then, on October 14th, people just disappeared except for Jarden, and Erica suddenly knew that this place was indeed special. Erica is a believer. A month ago, Erica found a bird near her car, dehydrated, near death. She knew the bird needed help, but instead she found a box, drove it out to the forest, and buried it. Three days later, she jogged out there and dug up the box, making a wish. She wanted her children to be okay if she left John. She knew that Michael would be fine because he had his faith, but Evie, no. Evie wouldn't understand. She made a wish that she would just be okay. She opened the box and the bird flew out. The next day, Evie was gone. Nora looks on in disbelief and rejects this story. She doesn't believe any of this is true, but she understands why Erica would tell herself this story. Nora sees herself in Erica. She believed she was the reason her family disappeared, but she's past that. As she says, she's evolved. It had nothing to do with Nora, and this disappearance had nothing to do with Erica. The two women just look at each other. Erica asks Nora if her children died or departed. Nora answers. She then repeats one of the questions Nora asked her. Do you remember the last words you said to them? Nora begins to cry, gets up and leaves. She returns home to find Kevin sitting alone in the lounge room. He needs to talk to her, and when Nora tries to brush it off, Kevin insists. He confesses that he thinks he's losing his mind, that it is insane that they have to handcuff him every night before he goes to sleep. He tells Nora that he's seeing someone, and at first she believes he is confessing to cheating, but then he tells her who he is seeing. Patty Levine, he says. Nora is confused. Isn't she dead? Kevin said it started happening just after they found Lily and that he hoped by coming to this place it would stop, but it hasn't. She's still there. Nora asks if Kevin can see Patty now and he says yes. Nora asks if Patty is speaking to him now and he says yes. What's she saying? Nora asks. Kevin tells her that Patty is saying it was a big mistake to reveal that she's there and that he's now made a terrible terrible mistake suddenly from behind a rock smashes through the window and when nora turns around she sees erica staring back at her defiantly she walks away and nora is left to ponder what is happening to her life this is an episode about two women about what they hear and what they choose not to hear about the guilt they feel about the men they chose to share their lives with about their collective loss of their children it is a powerhouse performance between carrie coon and regina king they need their own tv series maybe regina as a cop trying to bring in carrie who's suspected of murder or maybe it's like true detective with the two actors playing the lead roles we could have a female mcconaughey harrelson pairing I don't care what it is. I would watch it. I would watch the hell out of it. That scene at the end where Nora asks Erica those probing questions is a masterclass in direction, writing, and of course, acting. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. 
We know that after the sudden departure occurs, all sorts of different belief systems take root throughout the world. The pseudoscience we see taking place in the opening is a reminder that while our favourite characters are doing whatever they can to just survive day to day, there are people out in the world who are still trying to discover what happened on that fateful day. And like most belief systems, it is grounded in a logic that at first makes total sense. It is so logical that even for a brief moment, Nora has bought into it and in doing so becomes obsessed. She has to study it as well as she can, and once she has enough proof, she feels like she can dismiss it. Nora has to dismiss it, or this idea will bring forth the guilt she has done her best to let go of, the guilt she has run away from to hopefully live a new life. This is why she begins laughing when it is suggested she is possibly a vessel for Azrael. It is a relief that she can now move on from this theory, and it is now also funny that she bought into this at all. When it turns to weeping, it is a reminder that she is still feeling the pain she hoped she was moving on from. In the end, this is all a reminder. This is also what Erica comes to represent for Nora, a reminder of the pain she felt and now she is living next door to. Nora would rather that Evie and her friends just ran away because then everyone can start dealing with the proper events rather than tying it into the most painful day of Nora's life. This is why she hurls the rock at the <laughs> the place in defiance such a funny scene i had to watch that a couple of times uh you know it's like what what is happening here it's so kind of in its own void but has so much resonance later on and then t- take this into account many centuries previous a cave woman in that very spot lost her clan when an earthquake brought down the cave they lived in crushing everyone inside under the rubble when that same woman died of a snake bite. Another cave woman came along and saved her baby. Now, in the present day, women throw rocks at each other when they can't articulate their thoughts and do what we should all be able to do at this point in history, which is communicate. Uh, Nora is so wrapped up in her own emotional tug of war that she fails to notice that Kevin is slowly losing it. She is easygoing dismissive of leaving Lily outside as anything other than it's just something that happened or catching him talking to himself she doesn't push it even when they're about to make love and he suddenly screams she buys into his declaration that it was a cramp rather than pressing what else it could have been like we know exactly what happened we know that he just saw Patty looking oh gross by the end, when Kevin wants to talk to Nora, she believes it is going to be all about her and her behaviour. That final scene with Kevin is another example of why I love this series, that he finally tells Nora the truth about Patty, that he's tried to deal with it, but now it is just too much. It is an incredibly unsettling scene watching him confess what is happening while Patty is sitting there talking to him at that very moment, and we can't see what's happening. Is Kevin insane, or is this the 2% of the supernatural we've come to understand infects this world? We will have to wait for any potential answers, especially since this episode is about focusing our lens on the two women. Nora is deeply flawed like the rest of us, and her guilt and pain has only been stamped down, not controlled or even really understood. At times, her love and understanding is beyond anyone else in the series. Her relationship with Jill is one of the subtle highlights of this season. She's a friend, she's willing to be a mentor, but she refuses to mother Jill. She treats her like a grown-up, and why wouldn't she? Jill has seen enough to be wise beyond her years. Nora also loves Mary and is very willing to lean into the ritual of looking after her while her brother Matt finds purpose outside of Jarden. 
Yet Nora is also impulsive and driven by a deep need to be right. She donates $500 in a spur-of-the-moment decision without talking this through with Kevin. In that moment, it isn't about caring about the missing teenagers or caring about the families in pain or even giving a fuck about the town that desperately wants to find them. This is about making certain the search continues and proves them wrong, that they didn't depart and therefore Erica and the rest of them have no claim to her pain. It is a shame that Nora and Erica can't find common ground because they have so much in common. If they just chose to come to terms with stuff, they could be good friends. It's not a shock that Erica wanted to leave John. He doesn't look like much fun to be around and comes across as the type of guy that likes to tell a joke, but only a joke he finds funny. And if anything is outside of his wheelhouse, he just doesn't care for it. He's like a sportsman, you know, like an alpha male sportsman, you know. They can be funny on their terms. (laughs) Anyone who watched the footy show at any point in Victoria knows what I'm talking about. Erica obviously has stood by John for a long time, but that is possibly because he is the father of her children and nothing more. Not now. Who knows what Virgil did to Erica? Heck, we're not even really sure at this point what their relationship is, but we now know John shot him, and you get the impression that when Erica yells at Virgil to stay away, it is as much for whatever Virgil's sins are as what John might do next. It's just something she doesn't need to deal with now. Erica can't relate to the mothers of Evie's friends because she is dealing with her guilt over the missing teenagers. Just as Nora snapped that fateful morning and just wanted a moment of quiet, we discover that Erica is nothing like John, that in her own way she is a believer. By tapping into something her grandmother told her long ago, she carries out her own ritual to protect her daughter and then suddenly her daughter is gone. I would say Erica's bird ritual and Nora's moment of anger toward her family have nothing to do with what happened to both of the mothers. But we know that when events occur in our lives, we often attempt to apply cause and effect after the event to help us make sense of what just occurred and what we experience. It is dangerous to apply logic to coincidences, but it is also human. We all do it and we can understand why these women have found themselves in these emotional quandaries. If you kind of know that you're about to apply something, this is just a little bit of advice from me going off script here, but you never want narratives to take hold of your thought processes. So if you feel like you're slipping into something or you feel like something is kind of Uh, repeating a pattern from your past, you have to really work hard to not let that narrative take hold because sometimes that narrative can get ahead of you and then you can be in some real trouble. And I think this is exactly what's going on with these women in this episode. The narratives have taken hold and they can't control them regardless of what they believe. You can also understand why Erica has moments where she takes her hearing aids out. What would have initially been a handicap to overcome now becomes a place of refuge where she can block out the world and be alone with her thoughts. Although that refuge is fraught with danger now, imagine retreating to your place of calmness only to have your fears and guilt amplified without the rest of the world capable of distracting you. 
Just as an aside, how amazing is the chase sequence where Erica takes off after the young boy without her hearing aids in place? That soundscape was so unsettling and claustrophobic the first time I experienced it. I honestly was relieved when Erica was only nearly hit by the car rather than actually hit by it. I spent that whole sequence worried this would be the end of Erica, or at least a moment that would land her in extra physical pain. You can see why she was just such a natural fit to be the lead in Watchmen as well. She's really athletic. Erica's explosion at the fundraiser makes sense too. She has a husband who doesn't believe in miracles and physically attacks people he believes to be charlatans. Yet he too sits impassively when Jerry wants to kill another goat or the woman who wears her dressing gown parades around for photos. Erica has to finally dismiss these people and the town for allowing it to happen because if she turns her back on this thinking, then she can turn her back on her guilt. It is interesting that at the fundraiser for her missing daughter, a lot of the people in the audience turn on Erica for not letting the goat slaughter continue. Nobody likes to have their beliefs questioned, even if those beliefs are vague at best. As long as those beliefs bring a certain calmness to you, I think people never really want to have it questioned. Nora is also great in the background of this scene. She's impulsive with the donations. She's sneaky with the questionnaire. She's confused and empathetic with the surprising phone call from Laurie. She's secretive from Kevin when she sees him with no desire to share that his ex-wife just called and that his stepson has gone missing. Another thread that is good to keep in the back of your head. First time watchers. Even before she arrives at the fundraiser, she's prickly when Matt reads her perfectly. Remember, for all of his apparent madness and myopia, Matt reads people really well, and he sees the anger in his sister. It is an anger he feels as well, so he recognises it. It all leads to the confrontation at Erica's house. This scene to me is as powerful as the Pacino-De Niro confrontation in the diner in Heat or Batman and the Joker in The Dark Knight. These two powerhouse actors sitting opposite each other, jostling back and forth over these questions, thinking they're working out the person in front of them, but not realising that in the process they are revealing so much about themselves. We learn so much more about Erica, who still clings to the guilt she feels. Nora is bombastic and dismissive. She thinks she has the upper hand in this confrontation. But her dismissal of Erica's story, rather than sitting there and listening and therefore attempting to come at it from an empathetic angle, is a terrible misstep by Nora. It reveals so much more about herself than she feels comfortable with. Did you notice how the camera kept tightening on the actors the further the conversation goes? In the end, they're incapable of focusing on anything but each other. Both Regina and Carrie are phenomenal in this moment, and in the end, it is Nora who breaks. Nora breaks because she is the one who isn't honest with herself. Erica's belief that her daughter disappeared because she followed out her grandmother's bird ritual, and (laughs) by the way, tough town for animals, with the Garvey dog still locked up, goats slaughtered, birds terrifyingly buried in boxes. Yikes. Erica at least knows why she feels guilty. She feels terrible. She's still with a man she doesn't love. She's upset that she might have been the reason her daughter disappeared. She's sad that she can't convince her son that he has to stop visiting Virgil. She knows why she can't relate to the other mothers. It might have taken Nora to help her understand why she didn't want to answer the questions, but Nora still has so much guilt that powers her everyday life that she has bottled her anger and sadness rather than confront it. And in the end, she can't control it. In the end, she is so naked to Erica, she finally knows who threw that rock into her house. And Erica returns the favour, not because of the action, 
but it is her way of telling Nora, I see you. Time for some squid bits. Uh, let's get right into it with <laughs> fucking Jerry and another goat. Oh, I've already mentioned the goats, but at least this one appears to be saved. Would everyone except Jerry, and I'm just going to throw this out here because, you know, it's a full-on show. But anyway, if if Jerry had been jerking off at the moment of the sudden departure and figured he should come into town and just do so in the middle of everyone or in front of everyone, you know, put the same plastic down and just whacked off, if he believed that's why everyone didn't depart, would everyone watching that be, ah, oh, yeah, no, 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 we get it. He, he was... He was masturbating and then nobody departed, so we better let him masturbate while I have this (laughs) sandwich. (laughs) Anyway, that would be an interesting wrinkle. Uh, The doctor mentions the demon Azrael. In Hebrew, in Islamic tradition, Azrael is less a demon and more commonly known as the angel of death. He serves the purpose of death and renewal as part of the cycle of life. In Hebrew, his name means angel of God, help from God, or one whom God helps. The conversation between Nora and the fundraiser volunteer about PayPal mirrors the dialogue between Nora and Wayne's assistant in the first season episode guest. Erica was going to leave her family just before the events that saw Evie possibly depart. This is what Nora believes Evie is doing now. Also, Erica hoped Evie would be okay without her, and now we discover that Erica isn't okay without Evie. While the title of the episode refers to the theory of lensing, it is also referring to the different lenses that the characters see the world through. The Doctor in this episode refers to Dr. Denziger. Denziger? Denziger? I think it's Denziger, who was last seen in the pilot. It is mentioned that Evie disappeared on the 22nd of September, a date very important for fans of Lost, as that is the day that Oceanic Flight 815 occurred. Sonia Walger is the voice on the other end of the phone as uh, Dr. Alison Herbert, who was Penny in Lost. She is the only actor to have ties to both series. The barbecue restaurant Smitty's is a real place in Lockhart, Texas, which doubles as Jarden for the TV show. The Scientific American article mentions the Brandenburg Carousel, which was first referenced in the pilot. Nora claims that particular departure cluster was never confirmed, and she believes it is some genius in German tourism who cooked it up. And in a nice little throwaway joke to close the episode, considering how much Nora and Erica were having fun throwing rocks at each other's homes, the closing song is I Am A Rock by Simon and Garfunkel. Thank you for joining me today. We have some real momentum with the season as we make our way inexorably towards the end. If you have thoughts you'd like to share with us about The Leftovers or anything else we've talked about on this podcast, come and join us over at the Big Squid private page. Anyone can join. It's literally private, just so we can discuss TV shows, etc., without fear of spoilers. But I'd love to hear what you're thinking. There's some nice chats going on. You've got to come over and listen to Malk. He is on a roll. Good work, Malk. I'm loving all your <laughs> feedback about this series. Uh, so, yeah, if you'd like to come and join in with that, any thoughts, tell me who your favourite characters are. Uh, tell me which part is your favourite story. Whatever. I'm really keen to keep talking about this series. I'm just, like, maybe I'm loving it even more because I'm watching it so closely. Can you love something more? 
Absolutely. And I am. I'll be back next week with two new podcasts for you. Angela Fapierre returns. And, of course, we'll have another big squid. And maybe we'll have uh, some thoughts on uh, a few graphic novels and uh, maybe just an overview of The Mayor of Easttown. Uh, Yeah, maybe we'll do that. That'll be fun. Anyway, uh, I'll chat to you then. And let's finish today's podcast off with a quote from Carl Sagan. One glance at a book and you hear the voice of another person, perhaps someone dead for 1,000 years. To read is to voyage through time. Until then. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.